Well, let's first of all just recap uh, some of the things that we thought about this morning. If you weren't here, that will be of help to you. And if your memory is like mine, even if you were here, this will probably be of help to you. We thought about what our position is, the terrible danger that we're in because of the eternal judgment of God that awaits us because of our sin. You may believe that God exists, but as far as sinful men and women are concerned, in the way that life is lived, in our sinfulness we declare our independence from God. Make no attempt to take on board what God may require of us. Even if you are morally quite a good person when placed alongside your neighbour, you don't give God the place in your life that he rightfully should have. Nor does any of what you think might be good about you begin to measure up at all when placed next to the holiness and goodness of God. Rightly does the Bible declare that even the very best of our deeds are like filthy rags before a holy and righteous God. And so often when you think and feel and act against what your own conscience tells you to be true, let alone those things that are pleasing to God, all of this is sin. Even the best of us are guilty sinners before God. And you face judgment for your sin as a sinner. I face judgment for my sin as a sinner. We're in grave danger because the soul who sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. <clears throat> Many years ago, I watched a, a documentary. The former Labour MP and Prime Minister, Jim Callaghan, and he was recalling a meeting that he had with the Northern Ireland MP, Ian Paisley. Some of you will recall this. I've mentioned it a few times over the years. And during that meeting, Ian Paisley said something that Jim Callaghan strongly disagreed with. And Jim Callaghan tried to appease Ian, Paley, Ian Paisley by saying, but Ian, we're all children of God. Big mistake. Uh, you never got very far in any argument about theology with Ian Paisley. And in that oh-so-familiar Northern Irish voice, Ian Paisley bellowed back to Jim Callaghan, Oh, no, we're not. We are born children of wrath. Of course, he was right. Ephesians 2, verse 3. We are, by nature, children of wrath. Ian Paisley knew his Bible. And our problem in our sin is that we're unaware of the danger. Our sin makes us blind and deaf to the warnings. It corrupts our minds so that when we hear people talk of Jesus, 
we just want to laugh in their face in our sin. We're in grave danger. We've no desire to be saved in our sin. But God's supreme demonstration of love and grace and mercy was that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to sort out our mess. What a mess. And to rescue us. And to make us right in the sight of God. And that's what we'll consider this evening. Jesus came to this world on the greatest and most amazing rescue mission. Now this morning I used the analogy of a lifeboat being launched in answer to a distress signal. Or we may use the picture of one of those rescue helicopters setting out across the sea. Both are on the same mission. Search and rescue. Remember those yellow helicopters you'd see at the seaside sometimes? On the side was written, search and rescue. They know someone out there is in trouble. But first, they have to try and find them. They hope they're not too late and can save them. Sometimes all goes very smoothly. Sometimes it takes hours and hours in arduous conditions and the outcome is very uncertain. Sometimes, despite their very best efforts, it still ends in tragedy. That's the nature of search and rescue as we understand it. Now, although Jesus did say that he came to seek and save the lost, his is a very different kind of search and rescue. It doesn't have those same features to it. From the outset, as we saw this morning, all laid out before time began in God's eternal will and purpose, the outcome was certain. Certain. And so this evening we're going to consider Jesus. Why did he come into the world? Rescue accomplished. This morning, rescue required. In Christ, that rescue accomplished. First of all, here's a point. Jesus was not called. He was sent. He was sent. Now, rescue services respond to a call right now, and not just in the UK, but around the globe. Thousands of people all around our own country are on standby, waiting for a call. Fire crews, paramedics, coast guard, police officers, lifeboat crews, fighter pilots waiting to be scrambled in a few minutes' notice. Somewhere out in the deep blue sea, nuclear submarines, armed with goodness knows what, just waiting for the call, <coughs> that hopefully will never come. They're all out there, just waiting for the call. Jesus wasn't called from down here. Jesus was sent from up there. 
That's the difference. Now it's true <clears throat> we are to call upon him. And thankfully God hears us when we do. But as we saw this morning, even before the creator laid the foundation of the world, he knew and had decided that he would be sending Christ into this world. In this is love, and this is love we saw in 1 John 4, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Maybe the most well-known verse in the whole of the Bible, John 3.16, written by the same hand many years earlier. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave, he sent. Isn't that amazing? God looked down on this tiny planet in the midst of his creation. The planet that had been the crowning glory of his creation but where now all the people have turned their backs on him and in his anger at our sin he nevertheless settled his love on us who are believers he's such a God of compassion and mercy and some will be saved and we saw that in the, our reading in Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He did it. He accomplished this. That for, what, for which the Father sent him, Jesus has done it to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 6. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He sent his son Jesus on the rescue mission to end all rescue missions. And Christ's coming into the world was not so much search and rescue as known and rescued you if you're a Christian believer were known and rescued on the 8th of December 1897 how many years ago is that good that's what I've got in my notes 121 years ago just over, 8th of December, 1897, a club was formed. <clears throat> the two founding members, Frederick Sims and Charles Moore. The club that they founded, the Royal Automobile Club. You know it today as the RAC. In those days, it was a rather exclusive club. Not many people had a motor. And that side of the club actually still exists and it's still pretty exclusive. But from that sprang the rescue service that you all know you've seen there, orangey yellow vans all around the road. 
Now, wouldn't it be strange if on the 8th of December, 1897, Mr. Sims and Mr. Moore produced a list of every motorist they were ever going to help or rescue in the next 121 years, up to today. Well, that would be ridiculous, you say. That's preposterous. How could that possibly be? How could they possibly know who they were going to save and rescue? But that's precisely what God did when he sent Christ into the world. See, there are similarities with saving and rescuing as we understand it through our sinful eyes. But there's something far more glorious and wonderful about the saving and rescuing that Christ has done. Although Jesus did come to seek and to save, this was not find them if you can, not knowing who you'll find. Do you see the difference? It's not find them if you can, not knowing who you'll find. That wasn't the rescue that Christ came to do. He came knowing his own and he rescued them. God chose everyone who would ever believe. We saw that this morning. It's taught in many places through the scriptures. We saw it again in Ephesians 1 verse 4 that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God, as some people suggest, God did not look into the future to see who would believe and then choose them. He chose them in order that they might believe. It's because they were chosen that they have come to that place of belief. Remember what our problem is. We can't even see that we need rescuing in our sin. If Jesus were just some kind of celestial RAC man, he'd be sat in his heavenly lay-by waiting for a call for a very long time because no one would call him, at least not for salvation. Because the ruin that our sin has brought to us means that we never would call him, not for salvation. We don't have the desire or the inclination in our sinful nature to call out to him for that. Now, we might call out to him if we're in a bit of a fix. We got ourselves into a bit of a pickle to see if he can sort out some particular problem or difficulty that we're in. But then, once it's fixed, well, we'd wave him off with thanks, just like you would the RAC man. And now you can get on with your life again. And he can go back and sit in his lay-by. The Bible and the salvation that it speaks of is not like an RAC membership card. I don't work for the RAC, by the way. Other rescue services are available. I'm not going to be stood at the back with a table and one of those little parasols with a join here sign. 
Uh, I'm not even in the RAC, actually. But the Bible isn't like a rescue service membership card that you can just get out your pocket and use it if you feel you need it in a struggle. God has known and loved his people since before the foundation of the world. If you're a Christian believer, he knew and loved you and sent Christ for you. Maybe you're not yet a believer, but maybe you are one of those who God knew and loved and sent Christ for you too. And you've yet to see it. You've yet to hear it. But that is nevertheless the case. <coughs> when God's time was right, he sent Jesus to come and get us. Praise God. So, it actually isn't search and rescue the way we think of it. It's known and rescued. Number three. It's not search and rescue as we think of it. It was death and rescue. Death and rescue. Imagine a fisherman out in Liverpool Bay. And a storm breaks and he gets into difficulty. So he gets on the radio and calls for help. And the Coast Guard reply... And the guy on the end of the radio at the Coast Guard station says to him, yes, everything's in hand. You've already been rescued. He says, what? What do you mean, I've already been rescued? I'm nearly drowning out here. That would be a strange conversation. What do you mean you've, you've already been rescued? Our understanding of rescue is limited to our earthly experiences and always works the same way. I'm in trouble. Someone sets out to save me. If they manage to find me and recover me, then I'll have been rescued in the here and now, in my present experience. Did you see that sailor last week whose boat capsized and the mast had broken in the middle of nowhere in the South Pacific Ocean? Did you hear the recording of her voice as she asked for help? Did you hear the recordings of her voice as she was waiting for help? Did you see the photograph of her being winched up from her broken little yacht onto the deck of that Chinese ship that had gone to her aid? Did you see her throwing her arms around her mum when she stepped onto dry land? Did you see how much more her mum threw her arms around her? <laughs> At what point... Did that lady consider herself to be rescued? As she made the call for help? No. As she saw that ship approaching over the horizon? No. Probably the very first time was as she was being winched up on that rope, hoping it wasn't going to break, when she actually put her feet on the deck. And then maybe... Not really, till her feet at last were on dry land. Then she could say, ah, now I'm rescued. At what point 
is the Christian rescued? Do you, in a way, rescue yourself because you decide to trust in Christ? Is that how it works? Listen to the words of Christ. John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I know the ones I'm coming for. And I'm known by my own. And as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Every single one that was known to him before the foundation of the world. Christ came and laid down his life for every single one of them. And if you'd been the only one, he'd have done it for you. In the book of Hebrews, we have a wonderful phrase that's used about the Lord Jesus died, Christ, that he died once for all. He died once for all the sheep. 2,000 years ago, the rescue actually took place. If you're a Christian, you were rescued 2,000 years ago at Calvary. 2,000 years ago, the rescue was actually accomplished. Paul would say that we died with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, he said. It's not me who lives anymore, but I now live in him. And as Christ was raised the third day, we've been raised with Christ. Because he didn't just die, he rose again. That's a very important part of the gospel message also. The danger that sinners are in, Jesus put himself in their place at Calvary. The judgment that sinners are under, Jesus bore God's judgment as their substitute on the cross. All the anger of God over sin was poured out upon Christ. And he knew he was going to do it even before the first day of creation. All the punishment that sinners deserved, Jesus received. The death that sinners should die, Jesus died. And Jesus died as the substitute for sinners so that you no longer have to. And for all those for whom Jesus died, the slate is wiped clean. Their sins are covered and cleansed by the blood of Christ. Jesus has put sinners right with God. 2,000 years ago, Christ's rescue mission was completed as he hung on a Roman cross and cried out, It is finished. And having been buried, he rose again in the power of an endless life. Rescue accomplished. There's one final little closing chapter yet to take place. When he returns to take us to be with him in glory forever. But that is as certain 
as all that's been accomplished already at Calvary and through his resurrection. But you might have a very significant question going through your, through your mind. So what about me? Did Jesus rescue me? That's a really important question to consider. Actually, there's no more important question to consider. Did this Jesus rescue me? Jesus said, again in John chapter 10, but a little bit later on, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Here's the thing you see. Christ's sheep hear his voice. Those who were deaf are given hearing. Those who did not have the ears to hear by the work of God's spirit are given the ears to hear. And they hear the voice of Christ. And one of the most humbling things that any gospel preacher can ever contemplate is that as he speaks, there's another voice speaking. And people hear it. Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So you might be wondering, well, what about me? Did Jesus rescue me? Well, I have a question for you. Have you heard? Have you really heard what Christ is saying? Have you heard it here in the depths of your soul? That he is the one who came to save sinners like you. And that his rescue mission was completed at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And that you know, you know, you need to follow Christ. And Jesus says this as he continues, and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And the Bible tells us elsewhere that the Holy Spirit is a seal and a guarantee in our hearts so that when we read words like that, we know that it's true. John, who recorded these words of Christ, says at the end of his gospel, not quite at the end, almost at the end, I've written all of these things that you may know. And the convicting work of the Holy Spirit comes inside you and you know yes this is about me and today as people are confronted with the saving message of the gospel Christ continues to call his rescued ones he continues to call in the sheep by his spirit God brings dead sinners to life God causes blind sinners to see and deaf sinners to hear. He brings new birth. He brings a deep conviction of sin 
and of their need to be rescued. He causes them to see Christ for the very first time as he truly is Saviour and Lord. And in their heart and with their mouth, that's what they confess him to be. Saviour and Lord. And they now follow him because he will forever be their Saviour and their Lord. By faith, they cry out for mercy and they take hold of Christ. And if you've done it, you know you've done it. And you know that Christ has saved you. By God's grace, they repent and are forgiven all of their sin. Every last one of them. Because this is why the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. There's a Christmas carol that begins with these words. Love came down at Christmas. Love all lovely. Love divine. Love came down at Christmas. Star and angels gave the sign. That love came down to rescue sinners in the person of Jesus Christ. Rescue is needed. And in Christ Jesus, rescue is, is accomplished. And if you never have, will you not this evening confess your sin? Admit your need of rescue, not to me, but to God. And turn to the only one who is able to save you. Because of what he accomplished 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Through the page of scripture. You can look back to his cross. And see all your sins atoned for. And you can peer into the empty tomb. And you can hear the voice of the angel. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. Your saviour is risen. In repentance and faith, like doubting Thomas, who just like you could not, would not believe. Like him in repentance and faith, because you do now see, and because you do now hear, and because you do now know, you too may bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. And declare of him, my Lord and my God. And if you've never done that, will you not do that this evening?